I went to see a movie. I don't go to the movies very much. Uh, it has to be uh, definitely has a good rating, and uh, I have to know that there's, it's going to build me up spiritually. Went to the movie Friday night and saw Left, the he left Behind movie. Uh, it is here in Guymon until Wednesday. And there is a, a couple more movies that are coming in February that are God movies. And I just want to encourage you to support these movies. This Left Behind, really, you know, it'll stir you up. I know you say, well, I, this is, I've seen the Old West Left Behind. Well, this is a new Left Behind movie. And I mean, it is very relevant. And when you go out of that theater, you're going to say, uh, I might ought to get my life right because the rapture could take place anytime. I mean, that was just, that's, that's the thought that we should have all the time. But I, I just want to encourage you to participate in when I, I thanked the manager when I walked out, I said, I just want to thank you for bringing these, these movies to Gaiman. It means a lot to us to have this kind of input into our culture here in Gaiman. And so I, I just wanted to throw that in because I feel like that we're in a time where um, God is moving by his spirit and light is getting lighter. Light is getting more influential in our world. You may not think so because you see that darkness is getting more influential. And so, you know, and it's been prophesied that in the last days, the dark would be, get darker and the light would get lighter. There would be more of a definition between the two. And so, uh, that's what's happening in our world today. And so don't get discouraged looking at the darkness because look at the light and support everything that God is doing. That's, that's just a preliminary message, okay? So for several uh, weeks and uh, actually this was in the first part of December, God began to talk to me about the message that I'm going to share with you this morning. He began to talk to me about this, and then lo and behold, Chip Brim came and he preached my messages. <laughs> but he didn't preach at all. But what he preached on Monday and Tuesday night, and all of the sermons were great, uh, what he preached on Monday and Tuesday night are probably the most important messages for the body of Christ right now. So I'm going to start this morning with John, the 17th chapter. And I want to ask you, you a question. Do you think that God answers Jesus' prayer? When Jesus prayed when he was on this earth, do you think that God paid attention to what Jesus was asking him to do and that he would answer those prayers? Is that a resounding yes? Anybody think that he wouldn't? No. God will answer Jesus' prayer. No matter how long it takes. And so we have a few prayers of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, most of them are just kind of short prayers. Like the one he prayed at uh, Lazarus' tomb. 
and said, Lord, I know that you hear me and uh, that you're going to do what I ask you to do. That's basically what the prayer was. And But just before the cross, just before he was getting ready to fulfill his mission, he prayed an awesome prayer. It's a whole chapter long. It's in John the 17th chapter. And um, I like verse 4. I didn't give him verse 4. But let me just read verse 4 because right off the bat, uh, Jesus says, I have glorified you down here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And you know, many times we sang, uh, I glorify you, Lord. I glorify you. But how do we glorify the Lord? Well, Jesus glorified him by... Uh, by doing what he was sent to do and completing that work. And so that should be all of our prayer is, Lord, I want to glorify you by doing what you've called me to do. Because we've all been called to do something to enhance the kingdom of God. So we will glory. And when we stand before the Father, we will be rewarded by whether we did the work that he called us to do. Not if I did the work that Chip Brim was called to do. Or Paul back there. Or uh, Casey. Or any of those that have visible ministries. Uh, every one of you have a ministry. Every one of you have something to do. Maybe it's one person. If it's just one person. He's called you to do something. So Jesus starts out sort of this prayer by saying, I've done it. What a way to go, you know. Paul basically said the same thing. He said, I, he said, I, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to depart. I finished my course. I run my race. A crown is laid up for me because I've glorified God here on earth by completing the work that he sent him to do. You know, that's been my prayer for many years is, Lord, when I'm done, I'm going. I'm not going before I'm done. I will complete what you called me to do, and then I'm out of here. So if you hear that I'm out of here, you know that I've already done what he called me to do. Otherwise, I'm staying. So uh, I want to look at uh, verse 11 first. Uh, John 17, 11, and now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. See, he was projecting ahead uh, when he was going to go back to the Father. And I am coming to you, he's telling the Father, I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep in your name, in the knowledge of yourself, the, them whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Now look at uh, verse 20. Neither for these alone do I pray. It is not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for all those who will ever come to believe, trust in, cling to, or rely on me through their word and their teaching. So guess what? Jesus wasn't just praying for his disciples. He was praying for you. And me. And he was praying for Victory Center. 
And um, then verse 21 says, so that, why? They may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may be, so that, let me just emphasize that, so that the world will believe and be convinced that you have sent me. Verse 22. I have given to them the glory and the honor which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23. I am in them, I in them, you in me, in order that they may become one and perfectly united, that the world may know and definitely recognize that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. How many times did Jesus say, I want them to be one? One, 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 one. Do you think that was on his heart? That we become one? What does it mean to become one? It means united. One accord. One. It was important to him because there was, there's actually two reasons. But one reason that we find out in this scripture is because the world's looking at us. Do you know the world is going to know if we're one or if we're not one? They're going to get word of it. Believe me, it's going to show up if we're not one. Or if we are one, the world's going to take notice. There's something about unity. Hmm. In fact, it is the most powerful force on the earth. Now, let me show you how powerful it is. Genesis 11th chapter. Starting in verse 1. Now this is a message that the Lord began to give to me in December. And it says the whole world, whole earth was of one language and one accent and mode of expression. And as they journeyed eastward, they found a plain valley in the land of Shinar. And they settled and dwelt there. Now, this is after the flood, just not too long after the flood. I mean, the, the world was starting to repopulate, etc. So, uh, they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So, they had brick for stone and slime or bitumen, 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 how you pronounce that? What? Bitumen, who would have thought? Okay. Bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build us a city and a tower whose top reaches into the sky. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the whole earth. And the Lord came down. Word got to God. You know, he was somebody, you know, that heard it or something reported it to God. And so God came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are what? One people. They all have one language. 
so if they have, it's, they're all one. Isn't that what Jesus talked about? Being one. They're all one. So then God says, he makes this declaration. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And now, listen to this. Nothing they have imagined they can do will be impossible to them. Hmm. That's interesting. That's how powerful unity is. And these were ungodly people. Evidently, they were doing something that God did not approve of. Now, I looked at uh, several commentaries trying to figure out why God was so ticked about the tower and about them staying in this valley. And I couldn't find anything reasonable other than one said it could have been that it had to do with, with uh, worship of other gods. That's all I know. Uh, so if you find something, you know, you can put that down. Paul, if you have some insight into that, well, I'll listen afterwards. But uh, I don't know why, but I do know one thing. God did not approve of it. It was not something he wanted them to do. And, you know, their, their fear was that they were going to get scattered all over the earth. Well, so God came down. He saw that this was something he did not want done, was not in his plan. And so how did he stop the project? Did he send lightning from heaven and zap them or zap the tower or uh, send a big fire to burn up all their works? Or how did he do it? How did he stop a building project? He said, okay, I've got to disrupt the unity. Interesting. So, God says in verse 7, Come, let us go down there and confound or mix up or confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Verse 8, so what happened? So the Lord scattered. This is what they didn't want to happen. The Lord scattered them abroad from the place upon the face of the earth um, upon the face of the whole earth. And what happened? It stopped the project. They gave up building the city. Hmm. So how important is unity? How important is unity with, between a husband and a wife? You wonder why there's so much division in marriages? It's because Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. The whole project's going to stop when there's division. And so uh, what I see is the church, a united church, has the same possibility as these ungodly people where nothing they can imagine will be impossible to them. All we have to do is look at uh, the book of Acts. And we can see, I don't know that I'll take time this morning to go through all the scriptures, but there, uh, if you look at Acts 1.14, can you put that up there? Um, 
And all, this is just before, this is in the upper room. And of these, with their minds in full agreement, divided, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting together, etc., etc. You notice that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and his brothers and all the disciples were there, all in the upper room, and they were one accord. Their minds were in agreement. And the next thing we hear in Acts 2 is, whew, heaven came down and the Holy Spirit came into that room. You remember it was, the Holy Spirit was given. Let me just read, uh, I didn't give this to Larry, but um, just so you can see the first results that we see in the church, because this is when the church was born. In Acts 2, the result of one accord. Verse 4. Well, let me just see. Start in verse 2. Acts 2, 4. Acts 2, excuse me. Acts 2, 2. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven like the rushing of a violent tempest blast. And it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire which were separated and distributed and that settled on each one of them, and they were all filled or diffused throughout their soul with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in, in, in King James, it says, in other tongues. Uh, this says different foreign languages. As the Spirit gave them clear and loud expression in each tongue an appropriate word. So the, whole, the Holy Spirit came. What, where, where did it start? With the unity and the agreement of the mind. We could go through. I, I think I won't go through this one by one. But I looked. And you can do this at home. Read the book of Acts. And, and just underline all the places where it says they were of one accord. Where there were one mind. And then see what happens afterwards. Many times it will be. Uh, the Lord kept adding to their number. Those that were being saved. Um. As a result, uh, disciples were added over and over. People were added to the church. One time there was 3,000. Another time there was 5,000. They didn't have any church growth conferences. You know what was required out of the early church? Agreement. And guess who added? God added to the church. I like his, I think it's more like multiplication. Because, you know, if you get up and preach one sermon and 3,000 people come to the Lord, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's pretty good results. But they had agreement before the sermon. And then there was 5,000 added. And, uh, the early church expanded, and then you get to, you get to Acts the sixth chapter. And now about this is about two years from Pentecost, and now about this time when the number of the disciples was greatly increasing, complaint was made by the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, because let me just paraphrase it. Because they thought their widows were being overlooked whenever the finances were being head, handed out. 
And we find out in the early church that if there was a widow that did not have a support system behind them, then the church supported them. And so the Greek speaking, this is division is starting here. They're starting to have division. Surprise! Because I'm going to tell you, the devil took a page out of God's playbook. And he understood that the only way that you can stop peop, uh, stop any project is to bring division. And so he said, aha. So we have this church that's flourishing. There's 3,000 here, 5,000 here, and the devil's tearing his hair out and saying, what am I going to do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do what God did to stop the tower from being built. I'll cause division. And so here he comes. He comes slinking in through what you would think was a legitimate concern. And they begin to murmur, but let me tell you what they did. So the 12 apostles convened the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not seemingly or desirable or right that we should give up or neglect preaching the word of God in order to attend to serving at tables and superintending the distribution of food. This is verse 2. So they selected brethren, seven men, and um, uh, they described you know, what they're like and assigned them to look after the business of duty. And then verse 4, but we will, we will continue... See, they did not allow that strife to flourish, to multiply. They stopped it in the tracks. And they, I believe they, they sought the Lord and said, what are we going to do? And God said, just do this. And so, uh, the, verse 5, and the suggestion pleased the whole multitude. So they selected Stephen. And then they talks about the people that they selected. And uh, they were presented to the apostles who laid their hands on them, prayed for them. Now let, let's look at verse 7. And the message of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And besides, a large number of the priests were obedient to the faith in Jesus as the Messiah, through whom is obtained eternal life. Salvation in the kingdom of God. See, the devil tried to get his sticky, dirty hands in the movement that Jesus had established but you know what Jesus said? He says, I will build my church. This is in um, Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can you get that up in the Amplified? Uh, Matthew 16, um, verse 18. And I tell you, he's talking to Peter. He's saying, you know, you're, you're a, a piece of rock. But on this large rock, which the piece of rock he was talking about, or 
Peter had just made a confession that Jesus Christ was Lord, etc., etc. So it was on that confession, he's going to build a church, in which he has done. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the power of the infernal region, shall not overpower it, or be strong to its detriment, or hold out against it. You see, the devil knows that. He knows he does not have power against this powerful church that Jesus is building. He does not have power against it. We have power. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed. And the devil shakes in his boots if he wears boots. He shakes, he trembles when he sees a born-again, spirit-filled person that knows their authority in Jesus Christ. And as he sees a church full of people like that, he's like, he has no power over them. I got a book several years ago from a missionary, a man from Africa that comes over here every once in a while. Uh, many of you know him, uh, but uh, it's Mishak. His name's Mishak Omendi. And I've talked about this book quite a bit that he brought to me one time, and it's called Snatched from Satan's Claws. And it's about a sorcerer. It's written by a sorcerer. Uh, in Africa, they are very strong because sorcery has been going on for a long time. We're getting more of it here than we even know about. But uh, this sorcerer, McKendy was his name, and he was, he was raised in sorcery. From a little tiny boy, he was trained to be a sorcerer. And uh, so he was trained. I, if I tell you everything that he says in that book that he could do, you would say, I don't believe it. But it's, uh, I believe it. Because Satan has some power. He just doesn't have power over us. But he's a powerful foe. And so he, this sorcerer uh, was one of 140 sorcerers that were selected by Satan all over the world to go out into the spirit realm and be personally taught by Satan. So in this school of Satan, he learned a lot of things. And the interesting thing was, as I was reading what he learned, everything to withstand what the devil would, was, I mean, Satan was teaching them is already in the book to tell us how to withstand it, to overcome it and not be uh, a victim of the enemy. So he was taught, so he was taught by Satan himself and he was, um, I've written down some things I'm not going to read a lot, but uh, I do want to say, uh, let me just read this part. He said, I was assigned by Satan. Well, let me back up because I have a quote from Satan here. He said, you must try the patience of God's children and be able to lead them into sin. And when they have sinned, the covering of God would automatically depart from them. Now, earlier in the book, he talks about all the way through the book, he talks about 
He could do this, to this, and this, and this. But he said if it was a Christian that was living right, they couldn't touch him. If the household was, was, a, was a Christian household and they were living right in the household, they couldn't even come near their house. See, that's what we pray. We're in the secret place of the Most High. We plead the blood of Jesus. He said, he said the blood of Jesus is over the doorpost of their home and we could not come near it. If a Christian was living right, he said, we couldn't touch him. So he, they would do everything in their power to try to get them uh, to either sin, get angry, or get depressed. These are some of the main things that would open the door where they could torment them. But otherwise, they were totally protected. Now, that is good news. And I've experienced it. You know, when you, you that were here, whenever I told you about this car wreck I had in, in October, I, I, the front of my car was totaled. My airbags, airbags did not go off. I did not move in my seat. Four and a half dozen eggs in my car, not, were, not one of them were cracked. My purse was on the seat, and it stayed right there. It did not move. The impact of, of the wreck totaled my car, but it did not go beyond the windshield. The impact did not go beyond the windshield. I felt nothing. I heard nothing. Because I was in a secret place. I walked, I mean, people were saying, does your neck hurt? You know, did you have whiplash? Do you have any bruises? I said, no. I didn't move. I did not move in my seat. Not even a hair. So what did I experience? The secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty. No evil will befall you. No plague will come nigh you. Because the blood of Jesus is a powerful force. It's a covenant that we have with Almighty God. He releases his angels to protect us. He releases his healing power to, to preserve us. How important is it to live for Jesus and not allow our, our lives to backslide or not allow sin or any of these other things to come into our life? Because we have a better way of living. And so, he, uh, so Satan says this. He wants to get the covering of God from over them. He's talking about the church. This is your chance to possess and hinder their victory. Our efforts will be to prevent every child of God from fixing his eyes on Jesus. If he is not blocked from that, he will have victory. And it will be difficult for us to do them any harm. So, uh, McCoogany said, I was assigned to a church. It was no church number 34 in Zaire. He said, I labored for the devil to destabilize the church of Jesus Christ under strictly laid out strategies. Listen, namely... 
to destroy Christians' love for one another. When this succeeds, the church will cease to stand. Then he tells how he destroyed it. And I'll just give you a highlight or two. Um, he, he infiltrated the church. He started singing in the choir. They thought he was a good man. But what he was looking for was a gap so that he could bring evil spirits into the church. This is his own words. And so he says, One day that chance came through none other than the pastor who said, in my church, I do not like my members getting married to those of other churches. Immediately, I looked at my satanic radar and I saw a gap on the wall of the church because the pastor had said, in my church. And we know that it's Christ's church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And if any pastor or anybody thinks it's their church, then they're, they're treading on thin ice. So you will always hear me say, I will say it is not my church. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. He is the head of this church. I'm only an under-shepherd, and I listen to what he tells me to do, and I do it, and I listen to what he tells me to say, and I say it, and that's all I'm responsible for. But this pastor was possessive of his church. And so, uh, the outcome, let me just give you the outcome. Uh, he, he introduced uh, spirits of lust, fornication, and adultery, brought them into the church. Soon, some of the congregations started sinning and adultery. Let me just say this. He could not do anything to this church because he said, I, I was very, it was very difficult for uh, for, for me to do anything, they would not drink beer or wine, and they would not even go to discos. So, I mean, that was important, evidently, over there. I just wanted to throw that out. And uh, so he, he introduced these spirits, and they started sinning, and adultery was more pronounced, especially among the choir members. After five months... Some devoted sisters became pregnant. Even the chairman of the choir, that's what he called the head of the choir, committed adultery, and everyone knew because the case was taken to a court of law. The chaotic situation brought shame to the entire congregation so much that even the pastor decided to resign and go back to Bible school. And then he says that if the pastor had got before God and started praying, God would have showed him what to do. He could have sanctified that church once again, and it would not have failed. Those are just little excerpts, but you know, for me, I read the Bible, but it's kind of neat to look at the other side of it and see from Satan's point of view, you know, what he has in, in mind. So, in light of that, the fact that we know that we have an enemy and we know that he is going to try to use any tactic he can to destroy a church, especially when they're in a building project. Because he's took, taken a page out of God's playbook. And he saw what it takes to stop a project. 
Hmm. So, turn with me to uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I, do, I think I'm going to start with verse 1. I therefore the prisoner for the Lord appeal to and beg you to walk and lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons of God's services, service. Living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind, humility, meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing with one another, and making allowances because you love one another. Verse 3. Be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and what? Oneness of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. My message to you and all of us is to guard the harmony. Guard this oneness. The first place you start guarding it is in your own life. Murmuring, complaining, criticizing, uh, those are some things that begin to destroy the oneness in your life and it will spread. 1 Corinthians 10.10 says that the children of Israel murmured and complained and it put them in the way of the destroyer. I'll just read that. Nor discontentedly complain as much of them did and were put out of the way entirely by the destroyer or by death. Whew. How serious is this? I run across something that says this. The whole, see, we notice in what I just read in Ephesians 4. Um, it says the Holy Spirit produces unity. The Holy Spirit produces harmony. I ran across this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just make you dance and speak in tongues. He also makes you shut up, apologize, and examine yourself. The Holy Spirit's the one. If you listen to the Holy Spirit and something comes up in your life and you feel like you've been treated wrong or you're, you're uh, been mistreated or whatever, because the devil's going to try to create division. If you will get before God, you know what he's going to tell you to do? Forgive and make allowances. So this is how you examine yourself. Verse 2. Living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind or humility. And meekness. That means I'm not always right. And people are not always going to do it the way that I want it done. You know the, the ungodly people that were building the tower? They had three things in common. They were united in what they were going to do. They were uh, united in the way that they were going to do it. And they were united in the reason that they were going to do it. So for us to be united, we must be united in what we're going to do. 
You know, our church is not like most churches. I've, I've heard of church divisions because of the color of the carpet and stupid things like that. But we're not like that. Um, we are in agreement with what we're going to do. We're in agreement in the way that we're going to do it. And we're in agreement for the reason that we're going to do it. Why are we building a new church? Is it so we can say we've got the prettiest church in town? No. Why are we building a new church? We're building a new church because we want to make room for what God's going to do in these last days. There's people that's going to come to the church. They're going to sit in those chairs that we're going to buy. And they're going to get born again. And they're going to get filled with the Spirit. They're going to get delivered. And they're going to go out. And they're going to be missionaries. And they're going to be uh, evangelists. And they're going to bring more people in. Why are we doing it? Because we want to make room for what God is going to be doing. Because let me tell you, He is building His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to look at Matthew 5.48 in the Message Bible. I ran across this and I thought, oh, this is just too good. I have to, have, I have to share this. Matthew 5.48, Message. Did you get that? Okay. While he's doing that, I don't know if I, I know I had it on the list, but he might not have seen it. Let me just look at further on in Ephesians 4 where it talks about verse 11. He says, his gifts, he gave gifts to us. He gave gifts to the church. What are the gifts? They're, they're people, they're prophets, evangelists, apostles, uh, pastors and teachers he gave us this gift for a reason what is that reason verse 12 his intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints his concentrated consecrated people that they should do the work of ministering towards building up christ's body the church why so that it may develop until we all attain oneness of the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really mature manhood. Is that, is that, we're still looking for that uh, Matthew 5:48 in the message. Okay, leave that up there. Let me just finish this. <clears throat> Why? So we can come to oneness that we might arrive at really mature manhood, the completeness of personality, which was nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and the completeness found in him. So the subtle message here is you're going to have a pastor, you're going to have apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, until... We reach the place where we are one. So what's going to happen after that? Hmm. I just wonder. Perhaps we will be a glorious church. 
and perhaps we will be snatched away to enjoy the glory of God. Woohoo! I hope you're ready. So let's look at this. In a word, my message is, what I'm saying is, what? Grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards other, others the way God lives towards you. This is the way that we're going to be in unity and harmony with one another. We're going to grow up. Quit acting like kids. Quit bickering. Now, I say that, and I say we, because I know the body of Christ out there is doing that. You know what? We are an exception to a great degree. Now, I know devil's tried, but I, have, I know that we are a church that are very close to oneness. I've seen you people, you're so supportive. You support me. You support the leadership. You support what we're doing. I have not hear, heard any complaint about our new church and what we're doing there, except maybe some people that want us to have a steeple. Well, we're probably not going to have a steeple. Sorry. But we're going we're gonna to have church without it. But it's going to be glorious. So we're, you know why I'm preaching this message? Because I know Satan still has that page from God's playbook. And he doesn't hardly know anything else to do. So he's going to try to, maybe you and I, I don't know. Maybe he's going to try to get you mad at me. I don't know. I refuse to get mad at you. I will pray for you before I get mad at you. So I want to read a word that the Lord gave me. Um, this is January the 21st of this year. For everything I call you to do, I will give you strength and wisdom to do it. Finances to pay for it. Wisdom and grace to complete it. Just trust in me, rest in me, and believe in me, and you will be amazed how easy it is to work for me. My burden is light. If you trust in me, you won't worry. That's what Eugene was talking about this morning. If you trust in me, you won't worry. If you believe in me, you will not fear. Trust in my character and have faith in my word and the impossible will become possible. You know what we're believing for? The impossible. We're believing that this church that we're building out there, that we won't have to borrow money for it <coughs> to finish it. Well, I won't deceive you. We have borrowed a little bit because we're at the bottom. I mean, we, we are at the place where we do not, you know, we don't hardly have any money in the building fund, but up to this time we have not had to borrow money. We had to borrow some money for the cabinets. But my desire is that we can do the impossible by being able to pay, you know, we're not going to stretch it out long. What we have to borrow, if we have to borrow, we're not going to stretch it out because we have a promise from God. He will pay for it. 
He's got the money. Wouldn't it be nice to come through you? You know, I'd love to give a million dollars. And that's really all we need. It's just about a million five hundred thousand on top of the sale of our buildings. We've already sold one of them. So it it might seem impossible to you, but we've already accomplished the impossible. We have. I mean, how many churches build and get as far as we build without ever having to have any more money? Wow, any to borrow money. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I think it's just going to continue. I'm excited. Stand with me. Now, uh, this is what the Lord led me to do. Um, and we're going to do it. I, a prayer that I felt like that I wanted to, us to pray as a church. And... Um, I'm just going to read, I wrote, jotted it down. It's a, it's a part from the prayer that Jesus prayed. But I want us to pray it all together. I'm going, first of all, I'm going to read, read you what the prayer is going to say. And then I will lead you to pray this prayer. And I want us to pray it from our heart. I know I'm going to pray it from my heart. So Jesus had prayed this. He said, the glory... Uh, the glory, Jesus said, the glory you have given to me, I've given to them. So this is going to be the prayer. The glory you gave to Jesus, give to us so that we may be joined together as one and have the same perfect unity as Jesus, the Father God, and the Holy Spirit has. So the world will see how much God loves us. Simple. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God will do, answer that prayer? I believe he will. It's the very words that Jesus spoke. And when we pray those words, get ready. It's going to start with you. It's going to start with you and me. We're going to be a glorious church. I'm not going to settle for anything less. It's going to be a glorious church. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.